Well, no one likes to be judged. It's a big deal in our culture, in our society, if you haven't noticed. Like, people hate people who judge people, right? I mean, we judge people who judge people. Those stinking judgmental people. I hate those people. You know, I, I, you know, we judge the judgmental people. That's how much we can't stand people who judge people. But we all do it, right? I mean, probably walking into church today, you were judging other people. You were looking at what they were wearing. Oh, they're, those guys are dressed up, you know, a lot nicer than look that, you know, they must be, think they're so holy. Or, or maybe you're looking at the people who, who didn't dress up very nice coming in. Oh, look at them. They're, they think this is casual. You know, it should be, they should be dressed in Sunday's best. Or, or maybe you got out of your car and you were having an argument, you know, whatever, on your way to church and you see the other family and they just look so calm and prim and proper. Oh, look at those fakers. You know, we all see through the, you know, or maybe you're the one that didn't have the argument in your car on the way here and you get out and you see the, the family all frazzled, you know, trying to get, get in here and, and you're like, look at them and they, 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 they don't have it together at all. Like, right. I, I mean, you probably had a judgment coming up to the building. Like, especially if you're new here, you're like, oh, this must be one of those traditional churches. And then you get inside and you're like, what's going on here? Like, is this contemporary or traditional or some sort of weird mix of both? You're probably judging me right now. Some of you have been here for a while. You're like, Man, I like it better when he had longer hair. Like he shaved his head and, 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 and what's this beard he's got now? You know, it's, it, what, what's going on there? Are you growing it out or are you not? I liked it better when you didn't have a beard. Some of you are like, I, I, I do like the, the shaved head and, and beard look. Others of you are like not. Like uh, some of you are like, man, he always wears black. Why, is he wearing black again? Like he likes all black and, 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 and then he wears skinny jeans. And, and listen, I know what you're thinking. I, I know you're thinking all these, we all do it. We all make these kinds of judgments. Let me ask you a question though. Is it always wrong to judge? Like, is it ever right to judge, to make a, a judgment? Is it always wrong to judge? Is it ever right? What about when someone breaks the law? Should someone be judged when they break the law? Should there be a judge who executes a, a judgment and judges that person when they break the law? What about when someone hurts someone else? Should that person be judged? What about when someone hurts your kids, right? You're thinking, judge them. Someone judge them, all right? I'm gonna judge them if no one else judges them. My daughter came home this week and told me that someone, a little boy pushed her or pushed her down. And I was like, what's his name? You know, I, did you slap him? What'd you do? Like, we gotta get this kid, right? We gotta find him and make him pay, right? If someone hurts your little girl, you're thinking, judge them, all right? All your opinions about judgments go out the window. Is it always wrong to judge? Is it ever right to judge? I think you're going to be surprised by what the Bible actually says. We're going through the gospel of Luke verse by verse. And a little over a year and a half ago, we decided to study the scripture verse by verse here at our church so that we might all know the full counsel of God's word so that we would never be tempted to skip over something that's controversial or uh, that's more difficult to hear so that we might all grow in our faith and our knowledge of God and his word. We believe studying the scripture like this verse by verse develops a, a deeper and more committed faith. It develops a deeper love for God, a deeper worship of God, a deeper commitment to the mission of God when we study the scripture verse by verse. And so our hope in studying the gospel of Luke 
has been that every last one of us will be drawn to Jesus. Some of us will fall in love with Jesus for the very first time. Some of us will fall in love with Jesus all over again as we study the life and teachings and death and resurrection of Jesus. So much in our culture is trying to pull us to the left or to the right. And as we study the gospel of Luke, our prayer is that we will be drawn up, up to Jesus. And we're not just studying the gospel of Luke in here. We're studying the gospel of Luke in our city groups. Uh, we, we invite you to join over our small group Bible studies. You can find that on our app under city groups, or you can check the box on the connect form that says city groups and Brandon who oversees all of our groups will be in touch with you. We're studying the gospel of Luke this week in our daily devotionals on our app under the Bible study tab. This week, Monday through Friday, we'll have daily devotionals that'll break down these same verses. And then finally, we're inviting you to study the Gospel of Luke as a family. Your kids, our students and youth right now are all learning this exact same passage with some of the exact same points. And the table talk under the Bible study tab on our app will help your family discuss everything that we talked about here at church today around a table, like a lunch table or a dinner table. So we offer that to you as a family to help spur that conversation on around that table. We find ourselves in Luke chapter 6, 37 to 42. This morning, Jesus is still preaching the Sermon on the Plain, as it's called in Luke. In Matthew and others, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And he is continuing to talk about what genuine and faith and love for God looks like. He's been talking about the upside down principles of the kingdom of God. And you're gonna see some upside down things today as we continue in our study of the gospel of Luke. So would you stand? And then my friend Rob Neal is gonna come and read for us this morning. Rob? Good morning. Um, full disclosure, I, along with you, stand in judgment of Clayton's skinny jeans, <laughs> but I also think his shoes are pretty fire, so it balances out. Um, my name is Robert Neal. Uh, I and my wife, Corey, serve on First Impressions. Um, our 13-year-old son, Thatcher, is in City Youth, and then we have 11- and 8-year-old daughters, Campbell and Collins, and a 5-year-old son, Eli, that are in the City Kids, and we're part of the Collie uh, City Group, and we usually sit up amongst the nosebleed with the rest of the riffraff. So follow with me as we read in Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 37. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others, or it will all come back against you. Forgive others, and you will be forgiven. Give and you will receive, your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together, to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Then Jesus gave the following illustration. Can one blind person lead another? Won't they both fall into a ditch? Students are not greater than their teacher, but the student who is fully trained will become like the teacher. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying, friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Thank you, Rob. You may be seated. And I know some of you are like, there it is. I told you, get them, Jesus. Get those judgmental people. Well, let's talk about this. First of all, the Greek word that Jesus uses for judge here is a sharp, unjust criticism. It's to discriminate. It's to look down on someone. It's where we get the word 
critic. And some of you are like, man, my spiritual gift is criticism. Like I love criticizing people, right? It's not a spiritual gift, okay? Let me just dissuade you of that right now. This is an absolute determination of a person's fate. In James chapter four, James, the brother of Jesus says, there is one judge, there's one God and one judge over all. That is the Lord God's position only to be the judge, the final judge of someone's fate. That's not our job. That's not our Role. When Jesus uses the word judge here, he's using it in the context. When you look in verse 37 of condemnation, he says, don't judge, don't condemn others. This is talking about the absolute determination of a person's fate or a sharp, unjust criticism. One scholar said this about these verses. This is Jesus talking about not making a judgment of condemnation, but rather making judgments, there's a positive affirmation here is what the scholar is saying. There's a positive affirmation here of making a judgment of discernment or evaluation. A New Testament Christian is not called to be naive. We are called to be alert to the power and reality of evil that is all around us. We are to be able to discern between a righteous deed and a wicked one to be alert to actions that are contrary to the teachings of Christ. We are to be able to recognize evil and call it what it is, evil. That's making a just discerning statements or belief. So we're not to make an absolute determination of someone's fate. We're not to give a sharp, unjust criticism, but at the same time, Jesus closes this passage by making it clear that we are to make discernments and evaluations, especially a Christian brother or sister to another Christian brother or sister. And we'll look at that more here in just a second. So what, what is Jesus talking about here? Let's break this down. Number one, Jesus is saying, don't judge hypocritically. You can follow along in our app under sermon notes and you have some fill in the blanks here. Here's where you fill in the blank with the words in all caps, the verses and uh, some of the quotes and points, everything we have is on our sermon notes. And this is a great way to stay involved and to stay engaged in our time together, right? Don't judge hypocritically, Jesus is saying. And when Jesus says a, a speck, he's talking about something that's annoying or bothersome. This is a minor issue, right? This is a minor problem. But then he says, but some of us have logs in our eyes. This is like a beam. This is a, a massive, huge rafter. This is like a load bearing wall. And so Jesus says, if you got a beam coming out of your eye, what sense does it make to approach your brother or sister about the speck, the speck of sawdust in their eye? That would be hypocritical. Paul writes in Romans chapter two, you who preach, do not lie, do not steal, don't commit adultery. He said this, you do the same things. So why would you have a judgmental, a sharp, unjust criticism of your brother or sister when you do the exact same thing? So, so here's, the, here's the spirit, here's the approach that I think the scripture is inviting us, is challenging us to take as followers of Jesus. It's not about you, it's about me and we. This is, this is something I struggle with, this is something I battle with. This is about me and we. It's not just about you. I'm not pointing the finger at you. No, I'm pointing the finger at me and we. 
That's the spirit that Jesus is talking about here. Because watch this, we tend to accuse others and excuse ourselves. We're all tempted to do this. We all have this tendency to accuse others and to excuse ourselves, to make much of someone else's struggles and to belittle our own struggles and sin. We tend to accuse others and excuse ourselves. Just consider how often you are interested in correcting others rather than correcting your own thoughts, attitudes, and actions. We all do this. Make much of other people's struggles and make very little, belittle our own problems, attitudes, and actions. And Jesus says, you, you can't judge hypocritically. If you're going to make a right judgment, we'll get to that here in just a second, you can't judge hypocritically. Number two, Jesus is saying, don't judge superficially. Don't judge superficially, like just looking at the outside and not looking at someone's heart. Jesus is saying the plank in your own eye, the beam, the rafter, the foundational wall, the load bearing wall in your life that's literally like on fire and collapsing, your own arrogance, your own self-righteousness, all of these things are hindering your ability, Jesus says, to see well enough to make a right judgment. It's hindering. All these things are hindering our discernment. And so then we're all we're left is with, with judging based on the outward show, the outward appearance of things. But Jesus says in John chapter seven, don't judge by mere appearance, make a righteous judgment, make a right judgment. And so to make a right judgment, clearly what Jesus is saying here is that we've got to be able to see well enough to make a right judgment. Otherwise, it's just a superficial, sharp, unjust criticism because all we can usually judge is the way things look, the way things appear. But God is looking at the hearts. God looks at the hearts. And so to not judge superficially looks like this. It means assuming the best about someone's intentions and heart. Maybe even when their actions aren't totally lining up with that, it's assuming the best about someone's intentions and heart. That's how we don't make a superficial judgment, a sharp, unjust criticism, is we assume the best about someone's heart, about someone's intentions, about someone's motivation. It doesn't mean we're not pointing out the differences there, but we assume the best about someone's intentions and heart. Third, I think Jesus is saying, don't judge harshly. If you're going to make a right judgment, you cannot judge harshly. Jesus says this, forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and you will receive. He's talking about having a generous, kind, compassionate spirit here. Jesus says, when you give, press down, shaken together, making room for more, then God will be generous to you. What, what's he saying here? What's he talking about? Well, in Jesus's day, you would buy and sell grain and the seller would take a measuring container and pour the grain into it before they sold it to you. And after getting it about three quarters of the way full, the seller would take the container and would shake it and kind of tamp it down and level it out so that you could put even more grain into the container. All of us have done this growing up. You remember when you did this? When you got a Slurpee. 
Remember going in 7-Eleven, you get a Slurpee, and what do you do? You fill that thing up, and do you just walk away? No, you don't, because that Slurpee is healthy and good for you. You need more of it, right? So you get your Slurpee filled up, and then what do you do? You shake it, you tamp it down, you shake it, you, tamp, you get a little bit more, you shake it, you tamp it down, you get a little bit more, right? I do this all the time with Dr. Pepper. If I'm getting Dr. Pepper out of the machine, you know, out of a dispenser, off the tap, you know, whatever, I'm putting it in, and the foam goes up, and then what do you do? I'm gonna wait for that foam to go down because then I wanna get more Dr. Pepper, right? We do this all the time. And Jesus is saying that we should be generous in this way, looking out for our brother or sister, but wanting the best for them and being as gracious and kind and compassionate as we possibly can. Because when we do that, when we have that kind of spirit to others, then God is going to treat us with that same kind of grace and mercy. Jesus is talking here about having a generous spirit and that God is promising to give grace abundantly to those who are gracious. Jesus says, when you've dealt with the plank in your own eye, then you will be able to see well enough, meaning then your heart will be right, your spirit will be right, so that when you approach someone, you do it with the right motives and intentions, with the right heart, with the right attitude, with the right tone, which makes all the difference in the world. I mean, could there be any more mar better marriage advice, married people, right? Imagine approaching your spouse, not pointing the finger saying, it's you, it's me, it's we, and having this kind of generous, gracious, and compassionate spirit. C confessing even your own sin and your own struggles, your own problems, your own shortcomings in your marriage. And then talking about what's been concerning to you or bothering you or hurting you. But, but, the, but the tone, the, the, the spirit, the, the heart makes all the difference in the world. Most of us that are married would say when your spouse just comes at you with the finger and they're pointing and they're condescending with the bad attitude or with the bad tone, you're not going to get anywhere. You're just putting that other person on the defensive. You see, this is the best, almost the best marriage advice you could possibly get, that your spirit and tone, your heart makes all the difference in the world. In Galatians chapter six, Paul says this, if anyone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore them with a the spirit of gentleness. If someone's caught in sin, if your brother or sister in Christ is caught in sin, you who are, I love, I love how he says this, you are spiritual. Like if you're spiritual, you're going to care. If you're spiritual, when your brother or sister falls or stumbles or is headed in the wrong direction, you who are spiritual, you who love Jesus and care about your spiritual family are going to go after them. You're not just going to leave them be. No, you're going to go after them and you're gonna to try to bring them back, he says, you're going to try to restore them, but you're going to do it, Paul says, with a spirit of gentleness. Can't make a harsh judgment. No, you approach the, a spirit of gentleness, your heart always being to restore, not to condemn, but to restore that person back into right relationship with God and into right fellowship with their community of faith. You who are spiritual are gonna go after them and try to restore them with a spirit of gentleness. And then Paul says this, watching yourself the whole time. Why does he say that? Well, because if you're not watching yourself the whole time, you're gonna become arrogant, you're gonna become conceited, you're gonna become self-righteous, you're gonna do it with the wrong spirit. 
It's like Jesus saying, you got to take the log out of your own eye first. Paul is saying, watching yourself the whole time so that you will remain humble and broken over your own sin before God. And as you watch yourself the whole time in continual confession and repentance of your own sin, that will enable you to engage that person with a spirit of gentleness. Jesus' approach, John tells us in John chapter one, was grace and truth. Jesus, John says in John chapter one, was full of grace and truth. Jesus shared conviction clothed with compassion and he extended compassion anchored to convictions. It's not either or, it was a both and. Compassion and conviction, grace and truth to the woman who was caught in adultery. Where are your accusers? They're all gone. Jesus, then neither do I condemn you, but now go and leave your life of sin. Grace, neither do I condemn you. Truth, Leave your life of sin. It's ruining your life. It's destroying your life. It hurts the heart of God. Grace and truth, compassion and conviction. And then fourth, finally, Jesus is saying that we are to not judge outside the family. Don't judge outside the family. Jesus here in Luke says friend. He uses the word friend. If your friend has a speck of sawdust in their eye. In Matthew chapter seven, Jesus uses the word brother. Then you can help your brother remove the speck of sawdust from their own eye. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus says, when your brother sins against you, go to them. If your brother or sister sins against you, go to them and confront them about that sin. The implication here is, is that this is someone inside the family of God. This is someone who claims to be a follower of Jesus. This is someone who's connected in a community of faith. When that person sins against you, when that person has a speck of sawdust in there, like has a problem or they're headed in the wrong direction, first of all, you're watching yourself, you're removing the plank from your own eye, you're confessing your own sin, you're repenting of your own sin, you're coming to that person, not with it's you, it's me, it's we, but you're coming to that brother or sister and you're sharing your concerns with that spirit of gentleness. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 5, it's not my business to judge those outside the church. Amen, Paul, yes, retweet, right? Share. Whose business is it to judge those outside the church? Keep reading. Are we not to judge those inside the church, Paul says? Absolutely. You could hear a pin drop right now. We don't judge those outside the church, but Paul says, are we to judge those inside the church? Absolutely. That's the role of the church. That's what followers of Jesus do for each other. So what does that mean? What does that that look like? We'll get to that more here in just a second. But Paul says, we don't judge those outside the church, outside the family of God. We judge those inside the family of God. So we don't hold non-Christians to Christian standards. We don't judge non-Christians for not holding to Christian 
standards. One scholar said this about this passage. He said, an unwillingness to be judgmental is a requirement, an unwillingness to be judgmental. Like a commitment to not judge is a requirement for ambassadors of Christ and those who face persecution by a culture who rejects them. Without it, lines of battle would become hardened and the ability to love the enemy would be destroyed. When it comes to those outside the family of God, we are not to be judgmental. We are not to judge those outside the church. We're not to have those sharp, unjust criticisms. We are not to condemn that person to their fate, to some sort of eternal fate. No, we must have a commitment to loving even our enemy, to loving those that disagree with us, that don't believe the way that we do. That's how we are to act with those outside the church. But then in James 5, 19, James, the brother of Jesus says this about, again, those inside the family of God. He says this, whoever brings someone who wanders away back. So, so that person was one of us. They were a follower of Jesus. They were committed to your faith family, to your discipleship community to the body of Christ, they, they were one of us, they were with us, and James says, and then they wander away from the faith. They begin to wander away from their faith community, from the fellowship, from the body of Christ. James says this, whoever brings that person who wanders away back and turns them from the error of their way will save that person from death, from destruction. That person is headed in a way that is not going to go well for them. It's going to ruin their life. It's going to destroy them. They're, they're believing or acting in a way that is contrary to the word of God now. And James says, if you can bring that person back, implying that a follower of Jesus is going to go after their brother or sister in Christ who has wandered away from the faith, who's wandered away from right doctrine. We're gonna go after them with that spirit of gentleness, not pointing the finger saying, it's you, no, it's me, it's we, with grace and with compassion. You see, what's assumed here is a relational currency, a relational capital inside the family of God. So that when someone confronts me, when someone comes to me and says, hey, brother, I, man, it's not just you, it's me, but I, I'm feeling like this, I'm sensing this, I, 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 I see this, I, I, I'm assuming that's not what's in your heart, that's not what you want, that's not what you're intending, but, but this is what's happening and this is the way this is coming across, or, or, or are you really saying this and believing this? So, so when that person comes to me, there's some relational capital there, there's some relational currency there that I, I really believe this person loves me and wants what's best for me. There should be this relational currency, this relational capital inside the family of God. Like we see in Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, where it says these followers of Jesus were meeting together constantly for worship and Bible teaching and, and studying the scriptures together and for prayer. And then it says this, and they also met in their homes and they ate together and they enjoyed each other's company. This is talking about like best friends that love each other and love hanging out together that follow Jesus together. And it's in those kinds of relationships where this loving accountability is happening. So Jesus is saying, don't judge those outside the family. But when it comes to those inside the family, there should be this loving concern and accountability in trying to bring people back 
and saving them from death and destruction. But there's also something else happening here inside the family that Jesus is talking about in verse 39 and 40. Jesus is warning us to watch which teachers we follow. He's saying we need to choose our teachers and our leaders wisely since we will become like them. And some of you are looking at me and you're like, bro, I don't want to be like you. Okay. I don't want, I don't want to look like you, you know, whatever. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about, we'll become like that. We'll begin to believe like our teachers, our leaders that we have in front of us. And so he says, he's saying, watch out, watch out. You need to watch out because there's some false teachers out there. You need to watch out. You need to be careful because if you're following the wrong teachers, if you're following the wrong readers, leaders, if you're reading the wrong books, you're, it's the blind leading the blind and you're going to fall. You see, to build on a firm foundation, like we sang a second ago, we need to follow the teachings of those who teach God's word, not tradition, not feeling, not entertainment, not even inspiration. Listen, I've, I've been there and done some of those things. I'll be honest with you. And when you're trying to be more entertaining and more entertaining, you're trying to top the last thing you did because that's the temptation when you're creative and entertaining. You're trying, always trying to top the last thing that you did. When you're trying to inspire, inspire people and you're trying to make people feel good about themselves and, and good about life and, and pump them up and energize them, it, it can take you down a wrong path. It's easy to start saying a lot of things that aren't true when you try to entertain people and try to inspire people. So, so who do we trust? The most creative, the most entertaining, the most inspiring, the best-selling authors. Listen, part of my job is, is reading. I read a lot. And I've read a lot of what sells on our shelves. And I'm telling you, a lot of what sells in Christian bookstores and off those shelves is not good stuff. I, I know because I've been approached about this, a lot of books that are written by the pastors that we all know, the leaders that we all know are ghostwritten, which means people approach them and ask to write books with their name on it. And they'll take their sermon series and they'll write their books based on that sermon series, but there's all kinds of other things in there. They have a lot of license. And a lot of times those pastors haven't even read those books. And I know that because I've been approached to do the exact same thing. So, so, so who do we trust? How do we make sure we're not blind, just being led by other blind people? Well, here's kind of a, just short, quick filter for deciding who you're going to listen to, who you're going to be taught by, who you're going to read. Number one, do they exalt the Bible? Do they make much of the Bible or do they belittle the Bible? Do they make much of God's word or do they make more of their own opinions and conjecture, their own thoughts? Do they exalt the Bible as the inerrant word of God or do they undercut the Bible and act like there's a lot of problems and errors and concerns with it. Number two, do they exalt Jesus? Do they make much of Jesus or do they belittle Jesus? Do they only talk about some of what Jesus said and not all of what Jesus said, the full counsel of what Jesus said? Do they harp on one thing Jesus said on the, maybe the grace side of what Jesus said, but they never bring in the truth of what Jesus said? Do they exalt Jesus? Do they exalt the 
atonement, the substitutionary atonement that Jesus purchased for us on the cross, that he died in our place for our sin, or as some books I've read will call it, even sold on our own Christian bookstores here in our city and online, or do they call the cross, substi- or, or the cross cosmic child abuse? That's, that's her- heretical. So do they make much of the cross? Do they make much of Jesus? Or do they belittle Jesus? Do they belittle the cross? Do they exalt the sovereign Lord and creator over the universe? Do they exalt God? Do they make much of God? Or do they belittle and do they undercut the sovereignty of God, the lordship of God? And then last, fourth, exalt the Bible, exalt Jesus, exalt God, or do they exalt man? How, how, do they, how do they talk about man? How do they talk about following Jesus? Is, is it about dying to yourself, denying yourself and following Jesus? Or is it about celebrating yourself, being true to yourself, owning yourself, centering yourself? Do they make much of man and doing things your way and being true to yourself? And finding yourself, or do they talk about denying self, dying to yourself, and following Jesus? Jesus says, don't judge outside the family. But when it's inside the family, we need to watch who we listen to. We need to watch what we read. We need to guard, as Paul said to Timothy, we need to guard our doctrine closely. And then when it comes to the family of God, are we in loving, accountable relationships where we grow and follow Jesus together, where we deny ourselves and repent of sin together. So so Jesus clearly isn't saying don't judge at all. No, he's talking about making a right judgment and the heart behind making a right judgment. So here's our big idea this morning. If your heart isn't broken over your own sin, don't approach people about theirs. If you're not living in this continual daily confession and repentance of sin, if you're not broken over your own sin in your life, if you're not watching yourself closely, like Paul said, on a continual basis, if your heart isn't broken over your own sin, then don't approach people about theirs. But the mark of true Christian community is clearly loving, accountable relationships. One one scholar said this about these verses, a mark of the discipleship community is the responsibility that disciples have to help each other remove the speck of sin from each other's lives. But it must come from a humble and self-examined life that has removed the plank of self-righteous judgment. Then restoration can occur with the right attitude. After self-criticism has taken place or takes place, relationships are based on redemptive empathy rather than condemning detachment. This is a mark of genuine, life-giving, faithful Christian community that we help each other get the speck of sawdust out of our own eye, that that we help each other confess sin and repent of sin and love, follow, serve, and worship Jesus. This is a mark of genuine Christian community. Another scholar said this 
about these verses. God intends Christian behavior to be reinforced and upheld by the friendship, company, teaching, counseling, and loving criticism of other Christians. Not to appreciate this is to lapse into that arrogant independence of one's fellow human beings, or worse, one's fellow Christians, which is a sign not of the new life in Christ, but of the old life before Christ. And so I think Jesus would want us to see in these verses that if we're not a part of a discipleship community where a brother or sister, after having taken the, the plank out of their own eye, can come to you and help you with the speck of sawdust in your own eye. If you're not a part of a discipleship community like that, I think Jesus would just say, you're the blind being led by the blind. You're in danger of falling into a pit. You're in danger if you don't have relationships like this in your life. And so I, I just want you to know that the aim of our church, I just wanna be honest with you, the aim for our church family is to be this kind of discipleship community. I, I just wanna be real and out front, I'm gonna put the cards on the table. Like part of my aim as the pastor for this church is to experience this, is to live this out, is to be a part of a discipleship community like this where we help each other take the speck of sawdust out of our own eye. Does that mean we're there or that we're doing this? Per no. I'm not that naive. I'm saying that's our aim. I'm saying I wanna pursue this and I want you to pursue it with me and I wanna pursue it with you. That we could experience this, why? Because I think, I believe with all my heart that this is where joy and life and freedom are found. It's one of those upside down principles of the kingdom of God. We might look at this, especially if you're an unbeliever and you're like, I want no part of that. But as a follower of Jesus who has the Holy Spirit, my guess is, is right now in this moment, you're saying, even if there's just some small part of you saying, I need that, I want that. I'd love to have that in my life. That generous, kind, compassionate discipleship community that's loving each other, that's loving Jesus together, that's helping each other repent of sin, grow spiritually, love Jesus, follow Jesus, serve Jesus. We're a body, you and I. Paul says we need each other to do this. We can't do it alone. And Jesus says when, when we're not in a community like this, it's just the blind leading the blind. We need the brother or sister come to us to help us with the speck of sawdust in our own eye. About a year and a half ago, my wife and I were with our small group. We, we'd been together for a little over 10 years and we were in Cancun together. We took a vacation together with our small group. And one morning, uh, Darby and I got up and we were kind of on this balcony, this ledge, and we're looking down at this pool. And the, there's a Bahama ledge where, you know, there's like just a couple of inches of water. And there's this guy, he had to be in his mid twenties. And he was posing for all these pictures. And he was doing it for like 30 minutes. Grown man doing all kinds of crazy poses. And the person behind the camera was his mother, okay? And Darby and I are looking down on this and we're watching this happen for like 30 minutes. We're just watching this. You know, when you're people watching and just like, you know, bless their heart, you know? 
and we're watching this happen and we're laughing and you start thinking to yourself, man, wouldn't it be nice? That, that guy, you know, bless his heart. He, he needs someone to tell him that looks weird, right? You look foolish. You're, you're posing for pictures for the next 30 minutes for your 10 Instagram followers and your mom is taking the pictures. It looks absolutely foolish. Wouldn't it be nice if someone could tell him that in some sort of loving, generous way where he understood it and received it, right? I mean, wouldn't that be nice? And we're joking about that and we're laughing about that. And I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I walk away from those situations and, and you start thinking, wait a second. <laughs> Is there anything in my life like that? Like, are people just watching me make a fool of myself in some way and they, they don't wanna be honest, they don't love me enough, they don't care enough about me to come and tell me something, right? To point out that, that blind spot. Uh, man, if so, I really wish someone would love me enough to tell me that, right? Have you ever walked away from a situation like that? I, I remember walking away from that and I was telling my friend Kobe about that story this week and, and I was just telling him, you know, I really hope, I really hope I'm not making a fool of myself in some way and no one will tell me and they just keep talking about me and laughing about it, right? What, what, if, what if there's a blind spot in your life spiritually? What if there's a blind spot? Wouldn't you wanna know it? Wouldn't you wanna know if you were beginning to live in a way contrary to the scripture? Wouldn't you wanna know if you were starting to believe wrongly? Paul said, guard your doctrine closely. Wouldn't you wanna know if you were beginning to believe wrongly about something? You see, if anyone was ever gonna tell you about a blind spot though, they'd have to have that relational capital. They'd have to have that relational currency. It, it, the, the assumption here is that you know people well enough relationally and spiritually that those kinds of conversations can happen. But my guess is if you had a blind spot, you would wanna know it. You would want someone to tell you about it. So here's two challenge for you this week. The first one's gonna be really rough, I promise. <laughs> Second one's a little bit easier. But here's the first challenge for you. Ask someone close to you that loves and follows Jesus if there's any concern that they have about you or your family that they've never told you about. I'm gonna say it again, because I want you to write this down. I want you to think about this. And I understand how difficult this could be. But this is the, the mark of genuine Christian community is that you invite this into your life. Ask someone close to you that loves and follows Jesus, not your spouse, okay, that's another day, another time. Ask someone close to you that loves and follows Jesus, is there any concern you have about me or my family that you've never told me? about. That's the first challenge. Here's the second one. You have a decision to make. I'm going to ask you to take the Acts 15 challenge. In Acts 15, the early church has a big decision to make, and, and here's how they made that decision. It says in Acts 15, they did what seemed good to them and to the Holy Spirit. What seemed good to them, plural, to the church as a whole, they did what seemed good to them and to the Holy Spirit. So, so they took into, what, what does God think about this? 
So that would be examining God's word. I have a decision to make. I'm gonna examine God's word. What seems good to the Holy Spirit, to God? And then what seems good to us? That's Christian community. So if you have a decision to make, what seems good to us? What seems good to the Holy Spirit? What does God's word say about it? What does my Christian community say about that decision? Let them speak into that decision. Invite that into your life. And to do either one of these things implies having people close enough in your life that love and follow Jesus, that love you and want what's best for you to even ask that question to in the first place. And so if you're not in a city group, I'm gonna challenge you to get into one of our groups right now. Jump on our app, go to city groups, find a group, fill out the connect form, say that you're interested in a city group, Brandon will be in touch with you. But the implication here is that we have relationships like this that we could do this with. If you don't, you've got a problem and you have some steps that you need to take. These kinds of relationships take years. I'm just gonna warn you, you're not gonna get in a group and within weeks or months or even a year, have this kind of comfort level with people. It could take many, many years. But as you grow together and as you follow Jesus together, you'll be a part of a discipleship community that lovingly helps each other repent of sin, grow spiritually, love, follow, serve, and worship Jesus. And you will find the joy and the life that God has always intended for you in that discipleship community. Would you pray with me? God, it's our aim, it's our prayer at this church to be a community of disciples that lovingly help each other repent of sin, grow spiritually, love Jesus, follow Jesus and serve Jesus. So God, I pray that by your spirit, you would work in all of our hearts that, that we might form this kind of discipleship community, this kind of family that loves each other enough to help take the speck of sawdust out of our eyes. So God, by your spirit, would you form this kind of church, this kind of community in us and through us. And then just right where you're at, just with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, uh, just kind of a moment between you and God. Jesus said in John chapter three, he came to save you, not condemn you because you stand condemned already. In your sin, you stand condemned before God. You will be judged by God for your sin. Hebrews says it like this, Hebrews nine, it's been appointed unto man once to die and then to face judgment. When you die, you will face the judgment of almighty God who will see everything you've ever done and every thought you've ever had and you will fall desperately short. And there's nothing that you can do in and of yourself to meet his holy and righteous standard. In and of yourself, you will be judged by God. You will pay the penalty for your sin, eternity separated from God in a place called hell. But the great news is that the judge of all the world loves you so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die for you on the cross, to pay the fine for your sin so that you can be set free from sin and death, which is the penalty of sin. So that you can have a right relationship with God and know for sure that when you die, you're going to heaven, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus accomplished for you on that cross when he absorbed all the wrath of God for your sin. 
so that by your faith in his son, Jesus, you would not be judged for your sin, but you would receive eternal life. And so some of you here today, you've never given your life to Jesus. You will be judged by God for your sin. But I believe today is the day, now is the time in this moment that you give your life to Jesus, that you might be forgiven of your sins, that you will not be judged, you will not be condemned, but like Jesus said, you will be saved. And if that's you right now in this moment, and you wanna give your life to Jesus, as we pray, as we worship, jump on our app, fill out our connect form and let us know that you're giving your life to Jesus today. God, we thank you that your spirit is moving right now through your word as we pray, as we worship. And God, I I pray that you would form this kind of community in our church. And God, I pray that right now in Jesus' name, people are moving from death and judgment to life and freedom in Christ. And we pray those things in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? And our team's gonna lead us in a time of worship.